Hi, everyone. Welcome to Office Hours. If you're watching on YouTube, uh, you can find out more about what we do at officehours.global. Um, our first hour is general discussion. The second hour is general discussion on Saturdays. Uh, we, we do two hours or up to two hours. It's, it is a, uh, uh, we do it as long as there's questions. So this could be 45 minutes or it could be, it used to be in the old days, Saturdays were like 45 minutes and we're like, okay, and now we're done. <laughs> Let's go back and do what we're doing. But it, they can be up to two hours. Um, and uh, I just, uh, we are on a different system. So um, we have moved uh, and uh, it's kind of kind of exciting so um, so anyway so I think that we're we're excited to uh, thanks to John Wallace uh, we have a there was a system that was being built to do what we do and there was a it, it is happens to be very convenient because uh, John needs to get figure out how his system, you know, figure out what's missing and what's what still needs to be added and all the bits and pieces. And we need somewhere to go. It turned out the timing was perfect, and uh, so uh, you may no- notice a couple glitches in the first couple of days as we kind of figure this out. But that's part of why we're doing it is to ring that system out, and um, and so uh, so we're going to ring this system out. Um, I think that what we're going to do then is ring a second system out um, for own I know and then we're going to and then office hours will have its own place <laughs> its own space so there'll be three of them and uh, so we'll go from one to three probably in the next two months um, to uh, to figure those things out so stay tuned but we're ringing this one out for the next about the next month most likely so um, so stay tuned uh, for that all right let's go ahead and uh, jump into the questions Mitch what do we have Thank you, Alex. Our first question is coming in from John Preto here on the panel and in Las Vegas where the sphere is. I watched the WebEx One keynote and I can share the news. News? There's big news for WebEx, John? Yeah, so I didn't pay much attention to WebEx over the years. I used to use it every week. We had a, uh, a weekly webinar that I did. I had about 800 people a week on my, on my uh, weekly meeting with that product and it, and it worked fine. And so I, it, it, their keynote was uh, this week. So it was Tuesday through Thursday. And, uh, and I remember you mentioning that they're, they're moving forward. And so I thought I'd take a look. They have all kinds of news. The first 15 minutes was all about AI. They've got some really interesting stuff that they're doing in AI. And they've coined a new term, real-time media model. And so they're watching the video. If anybody gets up during a meeting and leaves for that time, it, when you come back, it will say catch up, and it will give you everything that you missed. If your name was met, it was that that was a super cool feature. Supposedly, they've got an AI-based audio codec that's 16 times more efficient than the a normal audio codec, and then this thing called super video resolution. If you've got bandwidth issues, uh, they spend a lot of time on this bandwidth scaling, um, scaling video, giving priority to audio, then video down, so all the way down to 270p. And then up, up uh, scaled on the other end, back up to 1080p using AI, uh, like Topaz, um, on on the uh, client end. Um, some other interesting things: Slido, full Slido integration built in now, uh, language support in real time, up to 80 80 different languages. Um, meeting summaries are just like Zoom AI assistant on Zoom. Uh, they've got a video summary of meetings. And so for like an hour meeting, they'll give you a 58-second little mini uh, synopsis. Highlight reel. Meeting. Little highlight reel. Yeah, highlight reel, <laughs> which great. was cool. Uh, they're using Vidcast for video messaging, another company they bought. Didn't they buy Socio, um, Slido, and and also Videocast? They're yeah. also including this WebEx customer experience thing, which is a basic automated call attendant. 
with call routing and everything else for small businesses. That was kind of interesting. And then they're spending a lot of time on these room systems. And so you've you've got these from from low end like soundbar and a camera all the way up to a dual 65 inch monitor thing with multiple cameras in the room. And then they take pictures of or live video of each person in, in the room. They do facial recognition and they're able to put the badges up and they're able to put each one of those people in their own individual boxes or they're able to re-outline them like they would be sitting at a desk. And then they've got this follow me feature. And so they've actually follow the speaker. If somebody gets up to walk around or somebody gets up to walk on a whiteboard, the cameras will follow them. So all in all, I thought it was a pretty good event for WebEx. They have covered... They've taken a lot of ground. Like they, I, I will say that I, I work with a company that uses uh, WebEx, and um, and every time I don't, you know, I don't have that many meetings, but every, you know, every two or three months I have a meeting, and I get to watch the progression, and I don't see it every day, so I get to see it about every quarter. I get to see some update, and I'm always like, okay, they're they're moving. They're the fastest moving video conferencing platform right now, you know, and I think that, um, <clears throat> and so I think that it's something that. I think Zoom has to pay. I used to think that Zoom had to pay attention to Teams, but Zoom really has to pay attention to WebEx now because they're they're just chewing up the the asphalt in front of them. I mean, it's it, it is an amazing thing to watch um, about how far they've come. Um, the, I think the thing that distinguishes Zoom is still the liminal tools and the event tools that Liminal works on. But hopefully, Zoom can keep on investing in those because that's what's keep that's the difference. Um, and uh, because they're, I think WebEx as a general meeting platform is pretty close to Zoom at this point. <laughs> like, you know, and it was not. At the beginning of, of, of uh, COVID and probably a year into COVID, it was an embarrassment. Like, it was just totally a disaster. And I don't know what they did, but they figured it out. You know, like, so they, it's really gone a long way in, in a couple of years. And Zoom, Zoom should really pay attention to them. It's really interesting. Uh, next question. Eric Hers from Hartford, Connecticut, asking, with a $10,000 budget, what do you recommend for a camera, lens, and tripod to shoot with one camera, a CEO town hall meeting in a space with about 100 attendees for HDMI input via a deck link into a PC with vMix for live streaming? Good guy. Yeah, we've got a couple people in the group that uh, have turned on to the Sony FR7s, and I know that uh, if you buy them brand new with the lens, you're looking more at like 12 grand. But if you search on, on eBay, you could find Omega Broadcast has them uh, B stock for 87.99, and then with that lens, you're a little over. So if we uh, jump over to uh, this is actually a shot right here from an FR7. This is our friend Greg Gibson. He's got multiples. So you would get this shot if you had a two up. Uh, the benefit of having multiples, of course, is that when you want that close up, boom, you can go go for that close up. As far as a budget looks, you know, you got your 10 grand FR7, 87.99 for for a B stock. And, you know, you could call you could call these guys uh, Omega Broadcast. They have them on eBay. If you use Google search FR7 used, it'll be that first one on the left there that says 87.99. Now the brother to this camera is the uh, FX6. So if you wanted to just get uh, a one that's manned, a camera that's manned, this is the same sensor. So you're at 59.98, and then that lens is, is in the two grand range. So two two ways to go. I mean, you'll you'll be over budget by about 699 bucks if you go at 87.99 for the camera, 1700 for the lens, 200 bucks for a tripod, and then if you want the FX6 route, you would. Uh, you would save a little bit of money, but then you got to man the thing and you still need a controller, which could just be a, a, a basic, um, 
you could just use a keyboard for now, but ideally in the future you would get the controller as well and uh, and maybe a second camera or a, a, an FX6 to, to boot. So that's that's probably what I'd get right now. Go ahead, Samuel. Yeah, I would probably go the other way and get a more uh, inexpensive camera. Uh, 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 looking at what you're trying to do at Town Hall, then probably a, a less expensive camera like the Sony uh, FX30 uh, combined with the, with the 18 to 105 uh, lens. Uh, that will give you power zoom and you can pick up like a little... Uh, 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 dummy battery and also a remote to control the zoom and uh, there's a lot of tripods to choose between uh, so uh, what I would uh, say is that you have to look at your whole uh, pipeline what you want to accomplish and of course if you have the budget for a $10,000 camera then there's no problem going with that but uh, looking at what you're trying to do with only one camera then perhaps you could uh, get uh, good results for uh, less expensive good. Go ahead Mitchell I agree with both my colleagues. Uh, If I had the money, I'd go with the FR7 because of the PTZ uh, ability. And uh, the person that's that's punching it could also uh, drive the camera back and forth. Um, And if I was to dumb it down a little bit, uh, I would do exactly what Samuel is. I'd use an FX30 uh, to get there or maybe even an FX3, which will look as good as a uh, FX6. It just has different uh, electronics in it. But uh, an inexpensive tripod, like from Small Rig, they have a heavy-dutier one. Um, Or if you want to spend a lot of money on a tripod, you can get a Sackler like the, the Flow that I have behind me. Uh, either way, I think you got it covered. Yeah, and I think that it, it, some of it has to do with the total ecosystem and where you want to go. You know, so I will say that I'm using the FR. We're using the FR7s uh, for most of our shows now. So we we use the FR7s. Uh, we use, but we use four, five, six of them at a time. Uh, for oftentimes these are like. Uh, um, red carpets or or people talking, you know, actors or whatever talking in, a, in kind of a semi-round, five or six of them at a time. And for when the cameras are less than 25 feet from the subjects, the FR7s do really, really well. Um, when the cameras get more than 25 feet from the subject, it starts to get more challenging. Now, one thing we have been doing is using... There, there are <clears throat> the the, 20, the, the uh, 35 to 128, you know, is doesn't go very far, but you can. We have been playing with windowing those with with uh, longer lenses, and that's worked okay. You know, for for that, if we're willing to do ten, if we're just doing 1080p um, for a longer lens, um, so we really like the FR7s a lot. If you think you're going to go further back, though, you may want to think about a BRC1000. This is a Sony. Um, Sony has a BRC1000. I think it's about the $10,000 range. Now, you don't still have a controller. So with both of these, the, the controller is going to be another couple grand. So you have to kind of keep that in mind as far as the cost. In addition to any, the, the BRC1000 has a lens built into it. It's 20X. Um, I used to own uh, a bunch of them. And so you can put them near the back of the room and just drive into it. And so that's another option for you to look at. But... If you're gonna, if you think you're gonna go back to things closer, like what you saw Greg Gibson's footage there, he's his cameras are a bit closer there. It just looks way better. Like the FR7 will look way better than the than the BRC1000. BRC1000 is a one one inch chip. Now, if you really need to fit everything inside of ten thousand dollars, and it's truly a ten thousand dollar cap, um, you also may want to think about the Canon CR N500. With the controller, so those two together, the the five hundred is about five five grand. 
It's a one-inch chip, and it is, uh, and then then you'd be able to still buy the controller and the tripod, and you know all the other things would all sit under ten thousand dollars. And um, I know some folks. I've not used them. I'm the 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 N five hundred, but I've talked to people who have used them, and they like them a lot until they buy the FR seven. <laughs> then they like the FR seven better. Um, but it is it is a more traditional one. The lens is built in. Uh, you can have the controller there. So those are definitely some stuff things to think about. I would. Especially with a single camera, you really want to go to a PTZ if you can. Um, you don't want an, I don't think you want an operator back there if you don't have to. It, it has a couple of reasons. I mean, obviously, there's some ongoing costs, um, but there's also uh, shake from the uh, from the and and also just where you can put that PTZ camera. A lot of times, we attach the PTZ cameras to the pillars, like we just literally build a rig a rig that'll attach to the pillar, put some soft things around the hard edges, and then we just pull them right in there. And what's nice about that is you end up with no seat kills. So the, 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 it sits on the inside of a big, you have a big round pillar, you know, that's a support beam. And you put the PTZ on the inside of that pillar and I didn't have to kill any seats behind it. It's And oftentimes those pillars are a lot closer to the stage. It just depends on what, what kind of room you have. But those are things to think about. Um, next question. Roscoe Jones in Madison, Indiana. A school district wants to replace aging Canon XA11s and XA35s used for events and sports with either a Canon XA65 or a Sony PXW Z150. Uh, they have been using BoxCast to generate streams. Any camera advice and are there low-cost 4K streaming solutions? I go, Samuel. Well, there's a lot of different solutions within the camcorder range. If you really want to go that uh, direction and you have the uh, the main advantage of going with the camcorder is that you have a long uh, zoom range and it's flexible and you have like a small uh, package. So I would go with a, with a, at least a one-inch uh, uh, camcorder. Uh, this here one is the Sony uh, Z90. Uh, it has quite good autofocus compared to the the other one uh, that you have uh, mentioned, the Z Z150. They're about the same price point. This one is bigger and older. Uh, but I'll post a video in the in the uh, the chat that uh, where Doug Johnson he uses uh, these uh, camcorders a lot and he explains his reasoning for why he uses them. Yeah, and and I do think that the the one place that I tend to go with smaller chips is actually sports um, and really long throws because it's hard to keep everybody in focus. <laughs> so the smaller chip um, oftentimes will make that make that work. Now, I do believe that also there are some, I think some of the uh, 4K, as far as 4K streaming, I think some of the ATEMs will um, stream uh, on their own now. I have, I don't have, I, the one that I have doesn't do that um, as far as a 4K solution, but you can also look at the web presenter is a pretty inexpensive way to stream 4K. Um, so you can do 4K streaming from, I believe, the 4K web present, presenter, and you can attach that to any video pipeline that you already have. So you could have a 4K switcher, have the web presenter on the end, and, and get the stream out from there. Uh, next question. Steve Uroff from Madison, Wisconsin. If one wants to use a gimbal to stabilize handheld smartphone shots at a live event, must the gimbal's app be used? And if yes, does DJI app provide clean HDMI out? Jeffrey? So if you want the special features that come with the app, uh, that little, little effects and things like that, then you have to use the app. Otherwise, the gimbal will work on its own. From what I read from your question, it sounds like you're going to be actually plugging in a dongle and, of course, then the HDMI cable that can 
that starts to cause, uh, when it comes to gimbals, it starts to cause a whole host of new problems. You definitely need to tie down that cable to the point where there's, there's slack so the gimbal can work freely. But then there's always that fact that that cable is going to be in the way when you're using the, uh, the smartphone. If this is a mobile if you're moving it around, then uh, of course you got to use that. But if you're if it's on a tripod and, and that smartphone's not going to move around, and you just have to remove some of the shake, you might want to think about doing something like neoprene underneath the uh, tripod or getting a gimbal that's not battery operated. There's a couple out there that uh, that do counterweights, so you can uh, so it it helps with reducing the shake. So uh, as for the clean video, I haven't used the app in a while so i don't know about that part yeah i mean i think one of the problems that i've had with the dji i mean i i use i have an, i have a couple osmos and um they do not even operate until you open the app and register your, your, yourself to them which is kind of annoying um and um and so uh you i think you do have to use the app there most gimbals will not work once you plug something in. Like they won't work as well as they were before, as Jeffrey said. The uh, um, they as soon as you plug something into them, they don't they don't do that very well. So what you can do is um, one thing. To, I mean, one thing to look at is using a a gimbal like the there's another there's another, there are a couple other companies that build these. Benro I think has one and so on and so forth that don't require the apps. They just stabilize, um, but they don't require any app. They don't even have an app to, to to run. And so you can look at something that's more of a low level stabilizer, and then you can use any any camera that you want or any any camera app that you want. Um, think about doing. You can also do AirPlay, so you can do AirPlay from the iPhone and into a, an Apple TV that is then connected to your system. So if you're not that far away from it, um, you can't go everywhere with that, but you can. It will give you a clean output um, from some of the other camera apps. Um, and I don't know whether the DJI one does it. I've never tried to do that wirelessly with the DJI software, um, so I don't know if it will or will not AirPlay. But the other, but the Apple camera will, as well as many of the other cameras, Filmic and others, will do that as well. So there's something to think about. Um, next question. Andy Kokendorfer from Vieira, Florida has a question. What is the panel's opinion of NDI Audio? Mackie's latest update for the DLZ creator supports NDI Audio IO. And how does NDI Audio quality and reliability compare to Dante? Go ahead, Mitchell. Uh, this being almost Halloween, uh, I can give you horror stories about uh, NDI Audio issues. But I can say uh, for certain that once you set a Dante network up, it's rock solid. So I would sort of lean to Dante. Go ahead, Guy. Yeah, I'd love to hear your horror stories, Mitchell. Um, so NDI Audio, as long as it's set up correctly, it's it's, it's solid. Um, that's that's the rough part. Is really you need the the back end part of it. So having a you know a switch, a proper like forty two fifty or something that's specific for it, you're you're going to have great success. We've been using NDI audio in the cloud without a hiccup, but that's that's Amazon's backbone. You know, it's set up so that there's no MDNS and that you just don't have the issue. So I would ask Andy, how, what's your flow? Why do you need to transport audio in this regard? Uh, I would go Dante personally myself if it was new because, against this product because Mackie's a, a, a well-known name, but it is the first out of the gate uh, as far as a hardware mixer product and especially at the $799 level. I mean, I'm right now I'm on the same boat. I'm looking at buying either an X32 with a Dante card or an XR18 and then using my, my Avios, but it, it's light transport. It's for a live church thing. So it just depends. Around here, I am tossing NDI audio around, but it's through software, but I still bring in stuff via analog mixers, um, my MixPre, or I have this... Uh, 
don't know if he froze or if he just yeah, he froze really, really so. Mitchell? I was going to say that um, another question I would ask related to this would be, which of the two is more likely to saturate a uh, network if you don't have it segregated out for that particular application, Dante or uh, oh. uh, NDI? Dante will saturate the network <laughs> faster because it wants to do everything uncompressed. I, I, I do think in the same way that I, I, I don't quite understand, you know, like I don't, I wouldn't use video, the, the Dante video. I wouldn't use the NDI audio. Like, like it's like I think you need NDI audio in the cloud, but I wouldn't use it in a subsystem in hardware. So if you're doing it in the cloud, I think NDI audio is totally workable, and you'll have to kind of figure out exactly how that works. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't use it for you know physical production unless I was really like an NDI person. Uh, if you're just adding, if you're adding this, this wouldn't be the only thing that I would use NDI for. Um, but if you're really building an NDI network for video and audio, I think that it, it's a it's something that people want uh, that are that are doing that. So, but I wouldn't build around that on purpose if that's the only thing I'm using NDI for. Now, next question. Chester Sweeney from Las Vegas, Nevada, is in with a question. Motorized faders was mentioned yesterday. Is there any small or compact mixers with motorized faders? Go ahead, Jeffrey. Yeah. Um, so I have one downstairs. It's called the Donner PCO2. Donner being a company that's uh, based out of China, uh, and they make uh, they make I don't want to say low quality. It, it's it's because it's not really low quality, but it is uh, I guess secondary type instruments uh, for everywhere from guitars to pianos and stuff like that. The PCO2 you can run the software, and then of course the sliders move around. And I believe the Flow8 has them, but I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. But uh, uh, yeah, there are a couple of them but i don't know if you want to use them in production obviously not. obviously made in china because in the united states donner usually gets connected to something like i i, I think that the, the the tagline could be donner audio what could possibly go wrong <laughs> anyway so good mitchell <laughs> i was gonna say uh, uh i don't have many uh but i do have one that i have uh connected up to my avid system it's called the uh, artist creator uh and it does all the flying fader stuff <laughs> Go ahead, Samuel. Uh, well, uh, uh, the, uh, for the first thing, the Flow 8 doesn't have uh, motorized faders. I have one here, and it has manual faders. It has presets. Uh, but uh, f uh, if you really want motorized faders in a small package, then you can get a Behringer X-Touch, uh, which is uh, just a just a pad with uh, faders, and then you connect it to the like XR18 or X32. Uh, and get it that way. The other way is to go with a full-size mixture with uh, like an X32 producer or something. Next question. Next one in from Michael Storvision from Storvanson from Fort Wayne, Indiana. Are there any third-party apps that support USB input or cameras on the iPad Pro with iOS 17 now? Oh, so I was, thinking, I was looking at it as a... Um, hmm, I don't know. Uh, the... I, I read that and I thought I knew the answer because I was like, well, they're, they're all working. They're all showing up, but they're all showing up in the Apple camera. Like I haven't really um, tried to... Oh, I think that... Yeah, I don't know. You Because what... So the backstory is, is that the that the iPad does support... We have found that the we can get webcams into the back. And I think that... I thought that most of them, Apple just delivers it to the third party and says, this is the camera now. So I thought that that was the way that it was working. I have to admit, I plugged it in, saw that it worked, and then unplugged it again. I didn't need it for anything yet. So it worked on the Apple, you know, camera. But I don't know if it works in other 
other things. So we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll take a closer look at that. Thanks for the question. It kind of reminds me that we need to dig into that a little bit deeper. Uh, next question. Eric Herz from Hartford, Connecticut, asking the Zoom plugin for Unreal is great. What are your thoughts about what can be done with just similar but more simple with Zoom ISO and Isadora? Um, I think you could do a lot with Isadora. I think the big advantage that you have right now is that you have that whole library that's really available to, to and the entire, you know, Unreal infrastructure. But I do think that um, Zoom ISO could deliver um, theoretically on mo many of those things. I think that the 3D rendering or the level of 3D rendering that you saw with it, with uh, Unreal is probably not something that Isadora is built for. Isadora can use 3D models. It can uh, transform the the pl the panes in 3D. So those are those all things could happen, but really that where you're seeing like 3D models and the all the illumination illumination and everything else. I don't think that 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 uh, it could necessarily pull that off, um, but I think and there's a a pretty big subsystem inside of Unreal. That said, I think there's a lot of a lot of processes that Isadora has that you wouldn't necessarily get in in Unreal. And Unreal might be a really heavy way to do this compared to Isadora. Go ahead, Mitchell. Yeah, uh, watching that uh, great second hour yesterday, Zoom uh, the breakdown of Zoomtopia from uh, Andy and friends, uh, it appeared that, that uh, Unreal has a lot of uh, processing logic built to it because when they were showing us the diagrams, the logic layout, it seemed like there was a lot of uh, decision-making built into it. Isadora does too. This, all the decision-making for the show is done in Isadora. <laughs> so like everything about how it works and what it's cutting to and the super sources and all those things are done. So I think that the de the decision tree is probably stronger in Isadora than it is in Unreal. Um, Andy'd probably be better. Andy knows both of them to some degree. He'd probably be better at telling us which one is which, but but the um, uh, which one is better. But but I think the decision tree is probably better in Isadora. But the 3D rendering, I think, in in Unreal, that's really where I think that you'd have a distinction. But if you didn't need that, I think that you could probably do an enormous amount of this inside of uh, Isadora. Um, next question. And it's from Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas. When you call Apple support, they sometimes take over your phone. What tool do they use? And is it an app the public could use to support friends? I go with Jeffrey. I'm not sure what Apple uses for their uh, for their support, but I do know that there's several different options available. We uh, when we had remote kits, we used to use uh, TeamViewer to access uh, either iOS or Android phones. iOS it was a little bit tougher with iOS because of the security; they had to actually do a lot of uh, of the button pressing. But when it came to Android phones, all they had to do was open up the app, and I could con connect from it from there. Uh, there's also like AirDroid and Enable, I think those are some of these other ones that you could actually use to do remote control of Android and of uh, iOS devices. Next question. Next one in from Don Modine in Westbrook, Connecticut. The Sphere in Vegas has an 18K resolution. How do you edit and process 18K? With a lot of horsepower. <laughs> so so 18K, by the way, is, is really the... Um, uh, that is the resolution that a lot of people think of as IMAX resolution. So it, it is a very high resolution. I'd be really interested. This may be potentially the first digital camera that is able to that deliver IMAX quality, I mean, IMAX resolution, which has a whole bunch of ramifications beyond the sphere. Um, but the, um, but so it's, it's really interesting to see. The problem is there's 
what lenses do you use on an 18 gig? Um, and it's got to be anamorphic because it's a, kind of a squarish uh, kind of um, sensor. So those are things that'll be interesting. Once you get it in, most of these, so most of the editing software is not resolution dependent. I don't know about Premiere, but I know that Resolve and, and Final Cut, you can just set it, you know, to whatever resolution you want to work at. Now, can you process it? That's the that's the big question. And so typically what you do when you have really high resolution, anytime we've had more resolution than we have data, I mean, then we have throughput, we end up building proxies. So what, when you're doing the edit, you're building a lower resolution proxy. In this case, it'd probably be 4K present, you know, 4K would probably be what you draw, draw it down to. Um, and, uh, and that would be a, um, that would allow you to, um, edit that uh, in 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 real time. In in most, you know, you, you're going to have if you're getting an ATK camera. This is a really expensive camera and a really expensive process. So you're going to have the money to have a top of the line PC or Mac uh, to do that editing. And uh, you're you're most likely going to um, if you're doing going down this path. I think uh, you know that you're going to build you're going to build the edit and. It might be built in Avid. It might be built in, you know, many other things as a low resolution. And then you're going to do a conform. And that conform takes the EDL from that um, that proxy and replaces it with that high res footage again. And then it'll probably end up at some point in Resolve to be um, completed and colored and, you know, all the other bits and pieces. And go ahead, Mitchell. Alex, you mean this camera? That is the camera. Quite a camera. Camera. Quite but piece that's of uh, lens on there. Well, that's the yeah, that's like the the 180 lens or whatever that they're putting on it, and the and they built the lens for the camera. I mean, when you spend a billion or two billion dollars or two and a half billion dollars on a on a space, you can spend another couple million dollars on a camera. Um, and so that's the camera and the lens. They probably spent I don't know probably five or ten million dollars on the camera and the and the lens for the R and D and the build. Um, but the uh, the problem is is that if 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 you want to use it for anything else, you're going to need to build new lenses for all of it. That lens is, I'm sure, built by them for that. So um, so it's a uh, which is quite a thing when you think about it that they built their own lens. Um, anyway, so uh, but that's the yeah that's the camera. I think there's a so there's some pictures around that are of the sensor itself. It's massive. Um, so it's going to be fascinating to see what happens there. Seventy seven point five millimeters. Yeah, so about twice the normal. Yeah, it's. It's big, so um, so it'll be interesting to see uh, see what kind of footage. I think that we're going to start seeing films get shot in that pretty quickly. I bet you that Christopher Nolan is looking really <laughs> like mm, <laughs> like like what, what can I do with that? So uh, you know, because the film, uh, the IMAX film format looks amazing, but the IMAX camera makes a lot of noise. <laughs> so you can't you know like everything is going to be ADR when you use an IMAX camera. Uh, next question. Jack Rupel from Breckenridge, Colorado. In the VR 180 video watched on mobile, you can move left, right, up, down to see move more. How would you place references, QR codes, timelines, documentation in the margins? View main content first with option to view margins second and third. Go ahead, Jeffrey. In the margins, I guess I missed that part of it. Uh, for me, uh, whenever I put in any type of text or anything like that, it's yeah, it's definitely going to be out of the way. But uh, it, it's tougher when you when you're moving around uh, video QR codes. That doesn't make much sense to me in uh, in putting that on that type of video. Uh, usually, when I, I've ever seen 180 video, uh, the a lot of times they put the text right on the edges so somebody can move to it and see it, but it doesn't get in the way. 
Yeah, they're they're um, so what we've done in the past as far as adding graphics, there's a co- there were a company that did real time is called Video, but it's like V I V I Y D O I think. But they um, and so we use theirs because they would let us transform our standard rectilinear to a spherical space, and then push it into the into the sphere. And so we would use it to add graphics and so on and so forth. And you know, one of the things that we found is that you can do a a lot. Um, now we were using we were in a full 360, so we we weren't quite as sensitive that are turning to the side um, because the problem really is is that the edges, especially of the video itself, tend to fringe a little bit um, on a 180 lens just because it's the end of the lens. Um, but uh, when you get into a, a space that might be a little bit more than 180, so there's some lenses that go for a little further around, you get a little more, more margin as you, as you spoke. One of the things we found is that you can watch something like, let's say we were doing it with golf, you take the 16 by 9 and you just put it right in front of the person. So there's the 16 by 9 because it's really expensive to put spherical cameras everywhere. So you just give them a regular show so they see like a TV there. But it's a clean feed, so you don't put any of the graphics into that feed. Um, you just let them watch those things and you can hear they can hear the commentators and so on and so forth. And then what we did is we put all the stats on one side. So all the things that you would see in a lower third, who's who's on the screen, everything else, you'd look over like this and you could just look at look at what's going on. You'd see the leaderboard, you'd see, you know, all the bits and pieces there. And then we put any kind of social things and any other things that they may want to see that they could kind of design over on the other side. So you can kind of turn over here. So what it gave you is this environment where you're watching a show. If you're interested in more information, it never you don't have any kind of debris on the on the thing. It's just this nice, beautiful film-like experience. And if you want to see that information, you can just look over to, to see the information. If you want to see personal information, you look over to the other side. Super powerful. Like you felt like you could just sit in that forever. Like, you know, because it's just like this nice environment. Um, you decide what that background is, the the environment that you're in and what those things look like. And it was really great. It's a fun test. Next question. Dale Nabeta from Oakland, California has a question. Do you have a recommendation for a rack-mounted Wi-Fi router? A good guy. Yeah, if you want to do the buy ones, cry ones, uh, as our, our good friend Chris Fenwick says, uh, get the Ubiquiti Dream Machine Pro and then get the, um, I can't grab it right now, but actually I'll grab it, hold on. Then you get these and you add them in where you want internet and they're amazing. Um, our friend Shirik Cheetah, he just had uh, the Google one uh, fail on him and it really put a damper on his on his show so uh, getting one of these is solid you can add as many as you want it's industrial grade so you can add as many of these um, pucks as you want to put them at our old building we had eight of them and it's seamless as you go from place to place to place how they can jump so it just depends on how much you want to spend and there's all kinds of information that you can route around um, you could sniff packets and things like that and uh, the cloud key allows you to see see and change things vpns all that stuff so guest access uh, multiple networks um, so i would look at the dream machine pro you go samuel yeah i would say plus one on the ubiquity i don't haven't used the dream machine but i know it's a so and a lot of people are happy with it and uh, but at the, at to point out, it doesn't have Wi-Fi, but normally when you have rack mount equipment, you don't want the access point inside the the rack because it will uh, it will uh, the signal will get degraded. So you want to have the access point outside of the rack. Next question. Next one in from Kyle Hammond in Chicago, Illinois. Can you connect an IR controller to Stream Deck? I remember Guy was experimenting with this last year. Go, Jeffrey. 
Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yes. You need, uh, if you have like a, something like an IR blaster that connects up to your network or, and, and then of course you have the, uh, protocol that, uh, will allow you to do stream deck. Uh, I did one last year. It wasn't, I, I needed to add companion to it to, uh, make the IR blaster work for me. Uh, and, and, and the, the protocol is escaping my, uh, my mind right now, but, uh, it's a, it's different than Wi-Fi, and, uh, uh, it's so yeah it's it, bottom line is it's it's very possible there you go uh, next question craig mcfarlane from boston mass uh any recommendations for an inexpensive ptz tripod head i mostly just tilt uh five to fifteen percent no need for a pan and zoom it's on the camera go ahead mitchell yeah, I think the the trick is to have one that's uh, robust enough to handle the PTZ, you know, based on what you have. Some of the Benros and uh, even the small rigs that probably be just a little too light uh, to deal with that. I'm thinking fluid head here, not just a, a ball-mounted uh, head. I'll go, Jeffrey. So a few weeks ago, oh, there it is, okay. Uh, on Amazon, you can find a whole bunch of uh, motorized heads for cameras, and it. I bought... I bought this one to test it because there was one that I bought years ago that I had lots of problems with. You put the camera right on it and it works. This one actually uh, says that it has auto face tracking on it, which I never used. But it works off of a simple remote like this. So you can move the camera around on there. So if you need something that's going to be like Vesca uh, controlled through a joystick or anything like that, that won't work. But uh, for something like I have it on this camera right here, if I need to make small adjustments to get frame i can do that easily uh, yeah go ahead uh, samuel yeah uh well uh i would also say that i've actually got one of these here laying here that i haven't put together yet i've got all the parts now uh but this is a diy uh, uh set and you have to print out all the parts and then you get the, the set and put it together again so i'm i'm gonna put it together soon but it's, i've still got it here yeah, and, and again, the, the good news is you're probably not trying to shoot something while you're doing a PTZ. Really, really, where you start paying money is when you're trying to uh, shoot shoot something and have a smooth pan. So there are a couple on Amazon. Um, I've used the Best Core in the in the past as a really cheap one. It's a couple hundred bucks, I think, or 150 bucks, and it's it's pretty rough as it goes from one place to the other. But once it gets there, it's there. And the problem is it's not very precise. Um, there's a couple other ones that you can, you'll probably find, see there that aren't very expensive. Uh, you know, you got to decide how much you want to control it as well. Another one that's a little bit higher end, if you're willing to spend a little bit, and again, those are, these are like sub 200, sub $300 range uh, PTZ heads. They won't take much weight. Um, and, but if you're putting a little webcam or a small camera on it, it might be enough. Um, as you get a little bit higher and you want to have a little bit more control, th look at the, um, um, syrup, it's S-Y-R-P, Genie 2 motorized pan tilt head. Um, that's about $1,200, so it's about as much as your camera. So in the PTZ world, that's not very expensive, but it is it is expensive for an individual. Now it's going to still give you a lot more um, there. A bunch of us have been talking about the idea of building a head that only goes back and forth about 20 degrees. And you know, I already bought the motors for it. <laughs> like I'm still trying to figure it out because what we want is something that will hold a lot of weight but won't move very much. 
and just lets us readjust the frame, you know, and that's what we're trying to figure out is like, I, I want to put a teleprompter on it and everything else. And I just want this thing that, that is um, geared up so that you have little motors that will move it very, very slowly around. It's not designed to be a production PTZ. It's just there to kind of, I need to reframe a little bit. We're surprised that no one's made one. And again, I'm slowly put, putting all the pieces together to do that. Uh, go ahead, Mitchell. I take a look at the uh, the Kessler brand of uh, devices. They make a whole ecosystem of ways to move the camera, and they do have a PTZ head option that's What's very well made. What's the cost? Yeah. What? I don't know the cost offhand. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a little bit more, but but than, than even the syrup. But uh, yeah, go ahead, Samuel. And also another option, you if you have a DJI gimbal, like a, a, a DJI RS two or. Uh, DJIS, then you can put the camera on there. And I was actually a journalist from Germany that put me onto this idea. And I've used it in a production. And actually, I was very satisfied with the movements and of the gimbal. I forgot about that one. And that one's actually less expensive than the syrup. And that's a good, definitely a good point, Samuel. Uh, next question. Matt Cool from Montreal, Canada. Um, I recently saw the postcards from the Earth Show at the Sphere in Vegas, and it's spectacular. Does anyone know how they play back such a huge image, and is it split into several sections? Would love to see a behind-the-scenes video on the tech. Yeah, I don't know how they play it back. I'm sure that it's the playout to some degree. I mean, it's anything can be played back at a at a high resolution. We've seen stuff where it is. I mean, we've worked on stuff that's higher resolution than the sphere uh, because of the large LED walls, and usually the LED walls are split up. So it is splitting. It's a single source. And then there is a variety of processors that process the entire screen. And oftentimes, every section of a certain, a certain size section of the screen is owned by a different processor. Those processes are all synced together so that they're seamless. Um, and so, so it usually is, there's a number of, there, with the sphere, there could be probably, I don't know, 30 or 40 of those processors that are processing that, that screen um, to make that actually possible. But um, I'll see if I can find out more information. It's a good question. Um, next question. Craig McFarlane from Boston, Massachusetts. What app could help do an external 3D capture of a house for 3D printing? Super precision wouldn't be needed. Yeah, so if the if you're looking for a 3D capture of a house, you may want to be thinking about just photogrammetry in general. Um, I don't think that the Apple, Apple, Apple app would capture it. Um, if I was going to approach this right now um, for 3D printing, I would still use Metashape. Metashape is a software that sits on top on the... Uh, um, uh, it sits on the Mac or PC or Linux. And it's um, and so Metashape is what I probably use for that, and I have used it in the past. And what you do is you take a lot of photos. You go all the way around. You try to take it as high as you can, as low as you can. Um, the one that I've done in the past that I did for a project, we used a drone. So we used a pretty high-end drone that gave us just really good, it had a really good camera on it. I think it was like a, it was a four-thirds camera. And we took a lot of photos of it from above and from the side, the same way you'd think about a little model, except we took them from high and low and so on and so forth. And you want a lot of overlap. You want probably 60% overlap. And what you're doing, if you think about your, um, if you think about your house, you know, that's here, we'll make it a, a very square house. Um, what you're doing is you're trying to get points that are, you know, up here like this and then around. And you're so what you're doing is taking pictures here and then 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 here. And then think about that as ribs that are going around that to, to try to gather as much as you can. 
And as much as you can get up to, remember that anything you can't see, you're not going to be able to model, and it's anything you can't see by three of those shots. So you really need to get a lot of shots of the camera. You know, for a house, I think we took um, the one that I worked on. We took probably I think 180 photos of the house, and it will come out as a very high resolution house. <laughs> like it was, I mean, we generated it was like, it was probably a 60 million polygons when we were done um, with it. Um, then we took it into, and I apologize, it's not something I can show, but it, we took it into a, um, uh, we took it into ZBrush. And so you'll have a little bit of errata, like little hard edges and weird things that it didn't quite get right. You can take some of that stuff out inside of Metashape, but what you end up doing is taking that into ZBrush and you can paint it out. So you can you can go in there and really get it, you know, nudge everything where you need it to be. You don't want to change too much, you'll mess up the texture maps. But but you um, but you can change a little bit of that. You may end up having to adjust the te texture maps a little bit. And then um, you can also use ZBrush to do the decimation. Decimation is reducing that, taking that 60 million polygons and getting it down to something that you want. Um, and so then you reduce all those polygons down inside of ZBrush, and then you can export it out. Um, final texturing, uh, you can do a, the final texturing a lot of different things. Substance, if you're trying to do it back to something like USDZ, uh, Substance 3D from Adobe is a really great piece of software to do that. You can also do a lot of that work inside of Cinema's um, paint tools as well, Cinema 4D's uh, paint tools from Maxon. So those are, the, those are the ones. But as far as going out to USDZ right now in a non-Houdini, non-Maya way, um, you're probably looking at Substance 3D. Um, next question. Daniel Ferguson from Thousand Oaks, California. What are some decent budget microphone and Mac audio interface options for a recording newbie who wants to record their own acoustic guitar performances? I go ahead, Jeffrey. There's lots of different options there. Um, I The one I use a lot is IK Multimedia iRigs, uh, and you can get them in many different uh, versions and sizes, and the best part about them is then you, you can actually change the plug so you can go from USB-A to USB-C to uh, Lightning if you want to plug into your phone uh, to uh, do any type of recording. Uh, they have one one device, two device, uh, up to four device. There's one, uh, the, the Quad, uh, I can't think of the, the full name, but it's basically got four inputs, and you can record to almost anything analog and through uh, through the USB. Other than that, you have things like the Focusrite Scarlett. You have Tascam has their uh, their multi like two channel to up to ten channel recording uh, audio interfaces. Universal Audio has the uh, the Apollo, and uh, and there's a couple more you can definitely check out. Uh, but uh, those are the ones that I would probably use in uh, in doing a one to two channel recording into a Mac. Go ahead, uh, Mitchell. Yeah, I would say that uh, uh, there are a lot of different ways. Plus one, by the way, on that iRig that uh, Jeffrey just mentioned. Uh, if you want to take a step up, uh, uh, Bill uh, Davis uses an Apollo Solo, and the uniqueness of that is, well, the fact that it does uh, some real-time processing is kind of handy, particularly if you want to expand uh, your capabilities. But um, that would be the way I'd go. I, I, ironically, I don't use a Mac to record with. I use a PC to do that with all kinds of other stuff. Yeah, the um, the one thing to keep in mind is if you are trying to take direct directs out of the guitar, just make sure that you're finding something with a high Z or high impedance um, input or or converter. Uh, you'll need that for the, the guitar pickup. Uh, next question. David Brady from New York, New York. My company provided Zoom account restricts. Some of the advanced, oh, excuse me, my company provided Zoom account restricts some of the advanced AI features locked by admin. But I noticed the same feature is disabled on my personal paid account. Is this coincidence or cross-contamination? 
Well, if it's your personal paid account, you should be able to go in and turn it turn it uh, on. I think I, I don't know whether the AI tools are available for if they're only business uh, or if they're just for pro, and so that that'd be something we'd have to that you you'd want to look at it as to whether they're limited at all uh, to what level you are. But otherwise, you should be able to go into your account and uh, play with them. I will say that they're. They work pretty well. We've been experimenting with um, some of our internal meetings. We've been experimenting with the um, the summary, you know, where it grabs it, and it's amazing. <laughs> like, 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 who needs who needs someone to take notes? I used to like. I've had a rule for I don't know over a decade that anytime I'm in a meeting with a client, there's somebody else with me in that meeting. Like, if I'm having any kind of planning meeting, because I'm horrible, I, I'm really good at being present and talking about what needs to be talked about, but I don't remember any of it. And this was, it's kind of, for me, it's pretty amazing to be able to record, you know, to be able to capture way more detail than I would have ever captured. Um, and even if it's not perfect all the time, it's it's pretty amazing. Yeah, go ahead, Guy. Yeah, just to show what it looks like at the account level in case uh, you can get in there, it would be under account management, account settings, and then AI companions, the second uh, one there. And then, because uh, if you go in on an individual account, it might say this account is locked by the admins, but I'm not seeing contamination on my machine, but uh, I, uh, I have a free account that I'm playing with on the other one. So maybe I think you have to be on a paid account to have it. Uh, um, so this is an admin account for a paid account, but the other one that I have is an, as a non-paid account and it definitely doesn't have this. So it just depends, I think, on... on uh, on how you're you're logged in and what your account is, if it's a business account or if it's a uh, just one paid user. So we'll have to ask one of the team members on, on Zoom. But yeah, here's all the things that you can you can tweak once you once you have a paid account with ten or more. Next question, Craig McFarlane from Boston, Massachusetts, asking: Have you consol excuse me consolidated TV remotes or do you juggle three to four separate remotes? Go, Jeffrey. I'm assuming you're saying three to four different TVs uh, as opposed to different devices. Uh, I've used uh, I've used multi remotes, uh, but they ultimately always have to go back to the real remote for the TV, especially if they're different TVs. Uh, usually uh, a universal remote like you'd buy at the Best Buy or something like that would be a universal remote that's expecting a TV, then a cable box, then a couple other devices that are not not four TVs and sometimes you have to put in codes to make it work on each each one so if it's if you push on the cable box option and then you try to put in a TV code it gets confused on that there are some systems of course that you basically point do a point to point on the remote and then that will train it for channel 1 channel 2 channel 3 channel 4 those work really well and then of course you can get really expensive and you get like the touch screen stuff and that that'll definitely work but a lot of times like i said it, it's usually that I have to go back to the original remote because there's always a function that doesn't that's not on the universal remote that I need. You go ahead, Mitchell. I'm uh, weaning myself off DirecTV and trying to do everything on Apple TV. And once you have Apple TV, this is the only remote you need is a simple, small number of buttons. The only thing that's a pain with it is that every once in a while you got to plug it in and um, and power it up so that it gets uh, recharged. But other than that, works great. Samuel? And I've used a, a Broadlink. It's a device that uh, that is connected to your network, and then you, you have an app that you can remote control the uh, the uh, from the app and send the IR signals through the device. I know also there's another one. I believe a guy brought it up once. That's the 
the uh, global cache or something like that that uh, you can connect directly to Ethernet. Yeah, we used uh, Harmony for a long time and then it died. And I have to admit that I just kind of, we've gotten kind of used to <laughs> figuring, figuring out, like we turn the TV on as we walk by. I, I have to admit, we almost everything we do is inside of Apple TV. So all we have to do is get the TV and the volume right and then we're just off to the races. So um, we keep on thinking about trying to unify that again, but we haven't gotten around to it. Uh, next question. Next one in from Tony Mobley in Noonan, Georgia. From my house of worship, I bring in music from my iPad Pro. Goes into A10 Mini Pro, also using Audio Hijack and Loopback to make this work. Since I've upgraded to 17.1, it is no longer working. I can't hear anything. Any suggestions? Oh, man, it feels like we'd have to do a lab on this. Like, I can't quite figure out. I think it's kind of like, I'm sure that there's just a setting change. It's probably some sign. My guess is some kind of security change with the iPad and iOS. Um, but it should, it, it, what it sounds like is your iPad isn't embedding the audio any longer. The only question that I have is whether it's possibly some kind of copyright control of it's like, you know, they've tightened it up so that you can't put out... Um, what it like you can't just play from music what i would try as an experiment is if you're using music on your ipad try buying a song i know they used to sell the songs try buying the song and seeing if it plays just just one it'll cost you two dollars to figure this out um so uh i know that what we have seen is apple slowly tightening this this noose and um, and so, like, for instance, if you try to do a screen capture of YouTube TV or something like that, it just gives you black, you know, so um, it's a copy, a lot of copyright control. Um, so what I would look at is trying to just buy one song on Apple Music, if you're using Apple Music, see if it plays out from there. And if it does, then it's a copyright issue. Uh, next question. Douglas Carmichael, I was so impressed by what the Zoom team demoed yesterday. Is Epic's first hour the most effective path to jumping into the Unreal Engine? I think it's probably one of the best. I mean, they, I think they have they have a lot. I mean, there are the, there is a, um, uh, and I can't think of the name of the company right now, but I'll find it. Uh, there's a company that does, you know, a, a eight-week course. I think it's an, either a four-week or eight-week course on um unreal that is that's the way to jump in like it's zero to a hundred it's 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 expensive i think it's two or three thousand dollars to to take the course but it's you know it meets twice a week they you know it's a very well organized system um and they uh and it's it's really good i, I keep on meaning to bring him on so i'll try to bring him on to talk about learning unreal and talking about that uh, but it's a great instructor and everybody that i've talked to that has gone through that was like well i was kind of figuring things out and then i just knew how to do it <laughs> like you know so so that might be a good way to kind of jump in we'll try to find that but it's not uh yeah it's not free but it's it's really effective um next question Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas has a question. The new X-Real Air and X-Real Air Pro are pricey and only offer better spatial audio and a few incremental changes. Will this new niche soon get flooded with competitors with lower-priced solutions? Hi, Guy. It's an exciting time, but I say expensive as opposed to what? I mean, I dropped three yeah. grand on the Microsoft versions when they came out. And I had two of them, so that was over $6,000. So to get these things for under $400 is amazing. I mean, either you need them or you don't. I mean, they are kind of a, a, a toy for some. But uh, our friend uh, Jeremy in uh, um, San Francisco, he's been using them for shows. And it's pretty amazing what you can do when you have a 120-inch 
monitor in front of your face that you didn't have to lug there. So it just, again, depends on if you're using them for entertainment or if you're using them for business. But the new ones are brighter and they do have some kind of window shade. I haven't got them yet. They uh, have this ability to darken uh, without putting the plastic cap over it. So again, if you, if you have a business use for them, then you could justify it that way. If it's just entertainment, then I'd also be looking at the MetaQuest 3, which might be a better value depending on what you want uh, as far as being able to completely seal out your environment and use their platform for either watching movies or playing games. Again, it just depends on your budget and what you want to play with. But uh, Apple's coming out with theirs for three grand, so it depends on what you want to do now. Uh, it's going to be a while before they release, so if you want a taste of what the future is, it's a good, to me it's a good investment, but you got to get the use out of them. I don't know. I don't know when the Apple one's coming out. So I'm, I'm like, just I'm. I have this little this little vault of money that I'm slowly filling up, so that it's just ready. So I can just go. I'm gonna buy it. <laughs> like so, I just keep on saving. It's a it's a big investment. Uh, I and I will say the funny thing is, is that I was going to buy a Mac Pro at the end of this year, and I'm not. And then the reason I'm not is because of the Vision Pro. Like I'm I'm just you know like it's the, it was just I've decided to spend money on that. I don't think it's going to be thirty five hundred dollars. I think it's gonna when the dust settles, it's going to be forty five hundred to five thousand dollars with all the bells and whistles and bits and bobs and everything else. So that's why I'm not buying a Mac Pro now. Uh, next question. Samuel Nordvik uh, in Norway and here in our panel asks, can you explain how a LUT file stores a color profile and what is the difference between a cube LUT and a 3D LUT? Uh, go ahead, Samuel. Yeah, well, I was uh, working with a program that uh, was importing LUTs and it was just a PNG file. So I was wondering, is it uh, like a, just an image with example or is there also data LUTs? I don't know of a ping. Yeah. Ping may have it in the metadata somewhere, but I don't know. A ping shouldn't be on its own a lot. Um, yeah, go ahead, Mitchell. This was Vmix. Oh, Vmix? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how they're doing that. It, it might be Vmix is using the ping system to save it, but that's a really, you know, it's a weird a weird way to do that. Um, the uh, Go ahead, Mitchell. Yeah, I just shot a, uh, a bunch of footage on a Mira. And um, when I wanted to bring it back into a Premiere Pro, I was faced with uh, all kinds of uh, choices. I haven't done this in a while because I shot at ProRes RAW. And uh, the Rec. 709 looked okay, but uh, going into the uh, ARRI website, they have like four or five different uh, Rec. 709 uh, interpretations for the LUT. And I ended up with the, uh, uh, the Amira uh, 3D. Uh, lot, which looks beautiful. So apparently there's all kinds of flavors in between. Yeah, the, the, a cube LUT and a 3D LUT, as far as I know, I mean, there may be something that I don't understand, but those are the same thing. Like, it is a 3D LUT. I mean, it's a 3D space. Um, so all LUTs that I know of are really, um, they are a 3D space. So if you think about a cube um, that's here like this, the LUT is basically saying that, you know, red is one one of these here, and then green is another axis, and then blue is this other axis here. And so that the RGB values, the red, green, blue values, are being converted into XYZ. So they're XYZ, so that they're XYZ positions um, of that data. So um, so the basically what happens is, is that you have, let's say, a 66-point lot or 65-point lot or whatever, 65 is 66. Anyway, I always forget. Anyway, so you have these, you have all these points that are here, and basically what you're doing is you're point pushing up, the the you're pushing them here. Now the key here is that a lookup table is only as good as knowing where your source is and where your target is, because it doesn't know anything about the color space. What it's saying is you're going to move, and and if you, what you want to think about is this is basically the same. If you think about a um, 
if you think about a curve, if you're looking at a color curve in Photoshop and you you, know, you pull the curve up like that, let's say, that think of that curve, but in 3D. So it's it's basically that curve. This curve is for one color, whereas you may have a color for, you, you have another curve for for green and blue, and and that is your LUT. It's it, this is doing that curve in 3D, and so so the um, uh, so the issue is is that, but you have to know where you're coming, uh, you know where your data is coming from and where it's going out to, and so this is your target, um, and this is your source, and so you, so when you do a LUT, you have to say I'm going from this to that. And the first LUTs that we ever got were basically they didn't need to do that because a lot of the LUTs, when people think of LUTs, they are um, from, uh, they're coming from 709 to 709 because they were just like, oh, we're just going to make things look prettier. Um, and from the, so that, that that's how you kind of think about those LUTs there. Um, but when you're doing it from log, um, the, you have the, the, you ha you say, you're saying, I'm coming from an Amira. I'm coming from black magic, um, color space from, you know, I have to know where the target is coming from. And then I'm going to 709 or I'm going to HLG. And these are the transforms of that color as it goes through. And I'll continue this right, right after this little break. There we go. <laughs> I'm going to continue it. It's Saturday, you know? So anyway, so the um uh welcome to the second hour we're going to continue this good this question here for just a second so so anyway so the point is is that is that the um so what you're doing with a lot is you you have to define the um you have to define where you're coming from and where you're going to um and so and then all the LUT has the data for a typical LUT is it has a this is what you're transforming those rgb values in um to do that and we usually think of that as a cube file so that's a cube file but it is a 3d LUT. Um, there may, I think that older LUTs might be, there might be a 2D LUT somewhere. I don't, I have to admit that it's just in the last five years, I haven't thought of anything other than cube LUTs, you know, so, um, so that's the, you know, that's what the, uh, that's kind of how I, how I think about that. Yeah, go ahead, uh, Mitchell. Yeah, the, the, the way I, and you could probably explain this better, but if I see that 3D cube, uh, that's the total color material that's available uh, with a uh, with a raw file. And when you draw the LUT inside, it almost looks like a little banana. Um, it determines how much of that space it's able to represent uh, coming out on the other yeah, side of that LUT. But it's, it's it, it um, here, I think I have, let's see if I have lattice on this machine. Um, I don't, how do I not have lattice on this machine? Um, anyway, so uh, the... Um, uh, there's a program that you can open on a Mac to just take a, to view a lot of these things, and it's called and it's really expensive. Um, uh, I thought that I already. Uh, let's see, anyway, um, yeah, it's, it's a really expensive app on the. It's the most expensive app I've seen on the on the on the uh, thing. It's called Lattice, um, and uh, so Lattice is the is the app that you can um, that you can look and define and redefine um, those types of things. So, yeah, go ahead, Samuel. Yeah, well, uh, what uh, vMix has uh, as the default is uh, this here, but they can also import the cube files, PNG and cube files. Uh, so, so it looks like they've this, built their own. Is this yeah, like what a they've, simplified? Uh, yeah, they've perhaps? built their they've built their own wacky version of a, of a, of a thing. I would not. <laughs> I would not use that. Like, just use cube files. <laughs> so, so, like, you know, you, you can generate cube files from... It, obviously, they got creative and they thought that they would do something new and different. And um, I don't know who else uses that. I've never seen what you just showed me ever. So um, I'm sure that it's some 
it's easier to process or they've got some good reason for it. But I would just stick to an industry standard cube file. Um, and so um, the uh, so I, yeah, um, I, I I don't I wouldn't get adventurous there. If you build your cube file in Resolve, which is a very standard thing to do, you can open the free version of Resolve and then build your look of how you want something to look and then save that out as a cube file. <laughs> then open it up in, in something and then you should just use cube files. Like I would not get, there's, there are other files that could get, that are, cube files are the beginning. If you go back and look at LUTs in, H, in HDR, the Thursday Night Football crew is doing things that are much more complicated than cube files. So cube files are the beginning of this um, the, because there's a problem. One of the problems that you get into with cube files is that if you're using a 17-point LUT or a 33-point LUT or a, you know these other ones that are there, the, the challenge that you get yourself into is that how do you interpolate? The LUTs are like a lattice, right? That's why it's called this. This app is called Lattice. They're like a lattice, and you're pulling those those points around. But how do you interpolate between those points? How do you calculate all the colors that happen between those those points that you're pulling? And that that becomes more complicated. And um, to get very very accurate colors, the cube turns out to not be enough. But I would not go the other direction. Um, I would do something that's that's more drilled down. But but maybe maybe VMix has figured out something that's more advanced. So we'll we should take a look at it and figure it out. I shouldn't I shouldn't um, knock it out out of hand until I know more about it because maybe they figured out a better way to do this. I don't know. Go ahead, Samuel. Yeah, I just looked at OBS and OBS also uses the same thing. So I think thinking that perhaps they copied what OBS did. Maybe, uh, but we should take a look at it. Um, I my calculate my guess is is that it's probably less accurate but easier to process um that's probably what that is i mean that's that's my guess is that's usually when you see a video program uh do something that looks different than everyone else it's not to make it better it's to make it easier <laughs> so anyway next next question Jack Rupel from Breckenridge, Colorado has a question, follow-up to an earlier VR180 question dealing with audio using 5.1 or binaural as left and right margins are viewed audio bokeh shifts to current screen focus, producing extreme content richness. Um, yeah, so I think that what you're talking about is if you turn your head, you're going to hear that you're going to be in a space where you hear that as opposed to um, it just being a hard 5.1 or binaural. It's an interesting puzzle. I don't have an answer for that yet. I guess, you know, Apple builds builds that spatial audio into it where it's giving you a space. And as you move inside that, I will admit, I hate it. Like I hate, like I love a lot of things that Apple does. Um, it giving me a space, like this is the position of your TV or this is the position of where you're going it drives me, I turn it off immediately because I'm listening, like a lot of times I have to admit, I'm like, I'll be watching, I'll have something watching on YouTube or on TV or or whatever. YouTube TV has some 5.1 or on Apple and you get into the spatial thing and I'm walking, I, I look around and suddenly it's over here and I I don't like that. You know, I don't, I don't so I have to admit that I don't, I don't really enjoy that experience at all. Um, I want it to just stay where it's at, but, but some people think it's cool. Obviously they spend a lot of money on it. Um, next question. Douglas Carmichael asks, as a manager, how do you detect conflicts early within a group and keep a project on track before you lose order and discipline within the group? Oh, it's hard. <laughs> no, I, I think you have to, I mean, I think that's probably a more of a Sunday question. We'll, we'll, if you ask that again tomorrow, we'll, we'll deal with it. We're not going to probably put it here. Next question. 
Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas. Can you do multiple time machine backups on the same external hard drive? What's the go-to number one, excuse me, one terabyte and two terabyte hard drives for a uh, backup from a Mac M1 or M2 Mini? Jeffrey? So in order to do that, yes, you can. In order to do that, you will need to separate, make different partitions or go into the disk utility and, uh, and set it up that way. I personally wouldn't because if you lose that external drive, if the, the external drive dies, then all of a sudden your two, three, four Macs that you have on that external drive are all gone. Uh, so as for as for drives, there's a lot of different a uh, lot of different ones that I've used. Uh, anything that has MVME, MVME, and then of course you can also set it up for a shared network drive if you uh, if you want to set that up that way. I have had enough problems with Time Machine, and I've had friends with enough problems with Time Machine. I would not use that. I would not use that feature. Period. It's bad news. It's not, Apple does a lot of things that are great. That's not one of them. Uh, next agree. question. Yeah, it's bad news. Next one in, Douglas Carmichael. Would there be any way to bring spatial audio to a meeting? For example, bringing them uh, into a breakout room closer to the listener than those in a general session. Uh, yeah, so um, Blue Jeans had it. <laughs> of all things, I think Blue Jeans is gone now. But Blue Jeans had a, um, they had the Dolby Spatializer. And so you would hear people talking a little bit over on this side or a little bit. It wasn't so much a breakout room being closer, but they were, you know, they started spatializing the audio. It was really interesting. Yeah, go ahead, John. WebEx announced this feature as well. Yeah, so I think that spatial audio inside of web uh, or inside of our, our video conferencing is coming. Uh, I think we... I don't have any, actually really don't have any information about it, but I think that the you're now seeing Zoom be able to see more channels. That's probably the first step to them being able to do something more complicated. Um, next question. Tony Mobley in Noonan, Georgia. Is any of the panelists using IPTV, 4kspeed.com, as a TV solution, and do you need a VPN? I'm $2 trial, but unsuccessful in getting it to work. I have to admit that I've never seen it before. <laughs> so, so I don't, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what that, I don't even know what that is. Um, you know, so, uh, for IPTV, for me watching TV, I have to admit, I pay a little bit more. I, I, I have YouTube TV. Uh, that's how I watch any broadcast that I watch. Um, and the reason for that is mostly metadata in the sense that I can, um, I record everything. <laughs> like I just have, I have hundreds and hundreds of, 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 of um, shows that I just put, turn the record on for YouTube TV and then it's always on. And then I just have this huge library of stuff. And I do that because I, when I want to research um, like lower thirds or something like that, I just want to be able to go through a whole bunch of stuff and I don't have to think about, oh, I'm going to do it this week or I'm going to figure this out or I've got to record a bunch of things. I just open it up and it's like all the things that I want to look at. Um, I think that of all the subscriptions, the YouTube TV is the most expensive that I have and the one that I probably view as the most valuable. It'll be the last one that I give up. Uh, next question. Douglas Carmichael asking, have you ever had to turn a troubled project around midstream and what techniques helped achieve that goal? Yeah, I really, I, I want to try to keep these philosophical questions more on the on the Sunday conversation. I think it's just a better place to put them. So, um, so we're, we're going to, if you want to ask that again tomorrow, we can jump into it. Uh, unless we have more uh, questions, and you guys have a very short period of time here, but unless we have uh, more questions, we're going to, this will be the next, the next one will be the last question. Uh, next question. Oh no. Andre Dole from Berlin asks, how about a second hour of the hollow plot sound system used in the sphere? I could reach out as we are based in the same city. 
you, you definitely should, um, yeah, anything around the sphere, we would love to see uh, more. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I'd love to get a couple. By the way, for the back end team, I think that we're uh, going to throw uh, a couple more, another photo, another camera, another question in there that just popped in. Um, the uh, anything related to the sphere, <laughs> we would like to, we'd like to see, um, uh, we'd love to bring somebody on. Uh, I think it's a really interesting. Uh, I'm I'm really curious to see what it looks like a year from now or two years from now, both on the content development, who they have there. Um, I think that uh, you know, I think that a lot of us were like, I don't know if this is going to work, but I mean, YouTube is sold out, like it is. Um, uh, I think they just, I just got some announcement that they're opening up the tickets for YouTube uh, um, for 2024. So they're sold out all all of 2023. I think is all sold out. And so they've done. Um, they've done really well. <laughs> yeah. So so the uh, uh, so I, I think that it's it, it could be a really. I mean, it's going to still take a decade for them to pay off the cost of the because you got to remember that a lot of that ticket money is not is going back to the band. <laughs> the band's taking a lot of that um, out there. So yeah. next question. Next question is a QR code drop question from Matt L. in Oakland. Panel's thoughts on the methods to correct, or excuse me, record program out of an ATEM2 ME. Right, go ahead, Guy. Yeah, HyperDeck is probably the number one. Um, I like the newer ones that actually have the external disk option because you can record. Um, the one that I had was the 8K, and I would uh, record to the um, built-in cache, and you can uh, hook in an external drive that that is larger and then it'll offload that stuff automatically, and then you can pick it up via 10-gig Ethernet. So it depends on your budget, but the 8K HyperDeck, the, the biggest, baddest one is the, the newest one that'll have that feature. And it's it's amazing once you have fast files access, you're not touching any of the disks because you can go ahead and put in uh, media on the front. But uh, yeah, HyperDeck would be the way to go. Otherwise, you're looking at you know AJ Keepros. Uh, there's a couple other manufacturers out there like the, the Atomus line that have the, the Sumos that you can record to as well. But the, those are, I mean, if, unless you want to go software, you got uh, Softron, uh, you can record that way. I actually use Mimo Live as well as a recorder because I can go direct to ProRes. So if you have a, an SDI card in your computer, you can suck that SDI in into Mimo Live and then you can record direct to ProRes and that's direct to disk. Again, it's just all about your workflow. Do you need a physical piece of media that you want to hand off to the editors or do you want to keep it local and start to edit right away? Next question. I've got a question. Uh, are we using a backup version of Office Hours right now for the transition? We are. It, it, this is a, uh, this is, um, we were building, um, it turned out that uh, John Wallace was building a mirror of what we were doing. And so we have an opportunity to, and this is the first time we've tried to use it. And so we're, um, uh, our goal is to make sure that there's kind of a good back and forth between us. We needed a place to go to make this happen while we make the transition of what we're doing. We're tearing the whole system down in, as we speak. Um, and, um, and John needed to have something to ring it out. Like he has all the hardware, but it's really hard to get everything working unless you're doing it. And so the trade-off between the two of us has been a very um, opportune, you know, opportune. <laughs> the timing was good. And, uh, and, and you know, we've been putting some work into that, but also uh, John has been putting it into work. So we're, it's kind of a really good kind of equal handoff back and forth. We get something that we need and John gets something that he needs. Um, but what, he, what, what we'll end up with is a perfect mirror. And we're probably going to build another mirror inside of 090 and then we'll have Three, and I'm probably at that point potentially moving the office hours kit to another location. 
So we'll see how that goes. Um, and so, uh, so that, you know, so we'll have potentially three mirrors of the, of the system, which is pretty exciting um, for what we're doing. Um, so this is the first one. And, um, and so I think that, uh, uh, yeah, we're pretty excited about the, about that process. Um, I, there, I think we're still, um, wrestling with the fonts. <laughs> so, so, but otherwise, and there you'll see, you'll notice that there's a little bit of a, a increased contrast. Um, we're working on that as well. Um, but I, I think otherwise, I think this has been running relatively smoothly and we are going to, um, I think it's going to be this Friday or the, I think it's, I think this Friday we're going to talk a little bit about how the first week went. And then a couple of weeks later, we'll talk about how that week went. So there's a, there's a couple of things that we're kind of adjusting there to make that work. Uh, next question. But by the way, it's, it's, a hundred percent smoother than I thought it would be. <laughs> so, so like it, it is, I thought this was going to be, I think we all thought that this was going to be a little bit of a train wreck when we made, made the move. And that's, it was, that's why I asked. Cause I said, no, I don't see anything different. It's yeah. Just it's little things. I think the only thing that I can see different is the font and the contrast. And we're working on that. And we already knew that that was a thing that we were working through. So, um, you, you should expect by the end of next week, that it should look identical. Um, and then that's going to allow us to hammer that out. And that means that, Again, that uh, John will be able to use it for his own things, and it's totally tied in. It's using all the things that we use. It's using all of the, and um, and so I'm pretty excited about that. And um, yeah, I think that it's a it's a good thing. Uh, next question from Jack Rupel in Breckenridge, Colorado. Does Apple do VR 180 for content creation? Uh, uh, yeah, I don't think Apple's published anything about how they do it. We've seen some behind the scenes photos. It looks like they're using at least this lens um, for some of their, at least their early work. So this is, uh, this is the um, Canon lens. This is the stereo 180 lens. And this is with a Canon uh, R5C. I'm doing some testing with it right now. And um, so this is, puts two 180 lim- I- images on an 8K sensor. So it's, uh, so you got two 4K spheres um, that is in its full frame sensor. Um, there's also, they're also using, uh, I know, I, I don't know what Apple's using, but I know that um, the other one that other people are using is the Raptor. The uh, Red Raptor is the other one that they're putting the same same lens on, um, or a similar lens uh, on it. There, we've seen some behind the scenes from the Apple productions where we see those inside of a big box, and we call that typically a blimp, and that's there so that it doesn't make any noise. Um, so, uh, but we have to remember that Apple also bought Next VR, so there's probably some of Apple's own sauce coming somewhere in the future. But right now what we've seen are what looks like off the shelf Raptors and, and Canons. And I don't think that they're shooting the actual footage from their shows with it. I think they're shooting behind the scenes footage. Um, that's my guess. And they're going to, because imagine having extras, the extras that come with your iTunes, um, you know, purchase or, or with the Apple TV content being VR content of the actual, of shooting some of those scenes. I think that's the most likely thing. Or they may shoot some examples of those scenes in VR. If, the great thing about for Apple is they um, have a bunch of hardware. <laughs> so I mean, they have they have a, they have a whole pipeline. They're building their own shows. They're doing their own hardware. They're doing all those things, so they can be building. They can be testing things, building segments, letting you see part of it. I think trying to do the whole production in 180 would be a really painful thing right now, but it's not po- not impossible. And the one company that can kind of figure that out is Apple. So, um, so I think that it's going to be a really interesting to see how content turns out next year. I think that Apple has shown very little of what they're planning to do with the Vision Pro. And I think that there's a lot more left to find out. So I'm pretty excited about the spring. Next question. Craig McFarlane from Boston, Massachusetts asking, are there Sphere tickets other than U2 to see the experience? 
Yes, uh, uh, someone put it in there. It's about ninety dollars to see the this movie that was shot um, on that camera that we showed earlier today. Um, so there's um, there's definitely some uh, uh, there is another experience that you can go to that's a lot easier to get tickets than the than the U uh, two experience. Next question. Hasma Gajar in Cape Town, South Africa. My colleague insists on using a green screen using the ATEM. What is the setup to use the green screen with, chroma upstream key and a logo, as well as that can be programmed in and out of the program? I got a guy. You're lucky. Hasmuk actually made a video on this, so I put a, a link in the chat to it. But the idea is that you're using you know, Ultimat technology, which a few years ago it's really expensive, and uh, Blackmagic bought the company, and now it's inside of your ATEM, so it's it's pretty simple. You, you're using the uh, the if you want to move around like how uh, some of us do with picture in a picture, you can use the flying key. There's a th then to do the uh, logo, you would use the downstream key, but it's explained pretty well in this video, and I walk through uh, just all the steps here. There's uh, it's about an 11 minute video, but the link is in the chat. And, that should show you exactly how to do it. That's great. Next question. Kyle Hammond from Chicago, Illinois. Follow up to the IRR question he asked. I'm attempting to use QLab to control OBSBOT tiny cams via UVC HDMI controller to access the presets. Would basic IR blaster work? And can you show the setup in the after hours tomorrow? Uh, go ahead, Jeffrey. Uh, it, it can work. Uh, the problem is that there's going to be some latency and you might find that as you're trying to use the IR to control specifically where the, uh, the tiny is going to go, that it might not get to the destination before the IR stops. Next question. Talalok Lopez Waterman, who's in the air right now, uh, could... <laughs> Talk to Phil Collins. Uh, can we have Darren Aronsky on the talk about his film for The Sphere on a second hour? Yeah, I'd love to. <laughs> yeah, so I'll, I'll try to find I don't have any contacts with Darren. So uh, so I will, I will have to dig that through. But it would be great to talk to him about it. So we'll see if it's possible. Uh, next question. Chester Sweeney from Las Vegas, Nevada. I've been watching Office Hours Global since somewhere in 21. Just want to say thanks to everyone for this waterfall of wonderful needs, wants, dreams, and jokes. This show is my addiction. Well, it's great to have you, Chester. Uh, we didn't get any questions from you until until we put out the QR code, and suddenly we get a lot of questions from Chester. It's just really good to have you listening, and th and welcome, and and uh, thanks. Feel free to jump into Makana as well, but uh, you can keep on using that QR code as well. So um, anyway, good 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 to have you. Good to know you're there. We didn't. It was funny when you first started asking the questions. I didn't. We had never seen you from Vegas before, and so uh, but you've you've uh, added a lot to the show. So so welcome. Next question. Douglas Carmichael asks us, what will it take to load the proper font into the system? Is it just installing a font in the font book? Uh, go ahead, Mitchell. Well, generally, you just double-click the font, and it'll auto-install on a Mac. On a PC, it might be a little different. Uh, but I go back to the days of suitcase. Remember that? Where you had to juggle all these fonts because you had the printer font, and then you had the screen font, and then you had to put them together. It was a mess. Next question. Next question coming in from Douglas Carmichael. Would there be a self-hostable equivalent to Restream to process one RTMP stream into multiple streams for each platform? I go, Jeffrey. 
You know, before Restream and, and StreamYard came out, I actually did that with my Wirecast box because uh, you could do multiple streams uh, to YouTube. At the time, it was YouTube and Twitch. Uh, so it is very possible. You're going to need a pretty beefy computer, and you're going to need some uh, a decent Internet pipe to do it. Uh, but uh, keep in mind, it, and depending on how you do it, if one goes down, they all could go down. That's That was the uh, problem I always had with that before I switched over to Restream. So keep that in mind if you're doing hosting and, and the streams, all the streams need to be up uh, solidly because like I said, if, if Twitch has a problem, then YouTube might uh, trip out as well. Go ahead, Guy. Uh, we would use AWS for this, uh, but you, if you want to self-host it, um, there is a Livestream Studio, which has an RTMP ingest over port 1935, and you could turn that into an RTMP server for cheap. I think it, it might even be free. I don't remember what Vimeo is charging now for Livestream Studio, but it, it's solid. When you get it working, it's just it's solid. So that would be my recommendation if you want to self-host is Livestream Studio. But like uh, uh, Jeffrey alluded to, you could also do it with Wirecast. I haven't, I haven't done in the RTMP server part on Wirecast, but I believe if Jeffrey's done it, then I trust that it, that it works. And the new version of Wirecast is pretty darn solid. Uh, uh-huh. Version 16, I've been letting it run with an SRT input for 48 hours, and it's it's been just ch- handling like a champ. So uh, take a look at Wirecast as well. Yeah, we've done it in a couple different ways. I mean, we have some elemental appliances that we can just add more and more outputs to. As long as we don't scale it, like the, 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 you know, the, even our smaller ones will do four or five, six outputs. And we build separate events for those to make that actually work. There's a couple complications when you only have one STI input. Um, but the other way to do it is also you can go to AWS. I mean, that's essentially what Restream is doing is sitting on top of AWS and then doing those for you. But you can build those as your as your own, as inputs. And so, with it, like, for instance, when we use the elemental link, we can build many outputs from that. Um, and that can all be in the same project, but a lot of times you want to separate that project out so you're passing from one to the other. And the reason you do that is so that if you need to noodle with one of them while the other ones are running, you can do that um, to make that actually happen. So there's a couple different... It's you know, having an appliance or or having software that does it is a little bit cheaper um, than than putting into AWS and putting it out all at one time. Uh, go ahead, Jeffrey. Yeah, and one more thing is you can always separate it. Uh, like for instance, if you have a, I, I used to have the Epifan. Was it the WebEx, uh, which I could plug in and I could create a separate. Uh, monitor for that uh, through an HDMI out, and then I'd have another computer I could go through a different HDMI out. The WebEx could go to YouTube, the other one could go to Facebook, Twitch, so as many computers as you want, and enough splitting to that, that'll work as well. Next question. Tony Mobley in Newton, Georgia asks, should the Office Hours community members need a VPN in their setups in general for the things we do? Uh, go ahead, Samuel. Well, if if you uh, the reason for using a VPN is if you want to cr- control something remotely, uh, so say you want to control uh, ATEM or a big focus companion on another location, uh, then you would use a VPN. Uh, the other reason why a lot of people use VPN is to appear somewhere that they're not, like uh, get around geolocations or things. But for office hours, I don't see a reason for that. Yeah, our goal is to is to get to a point where you, no one no one needs any or almost nobody outside of the EICs need a VPN. So we don't have that. We're not quite there yet, but our goal is to get to the point where uh, nobody nobody needs a, a VPN to make that work. Um, next question. Next one in from Juan, Juan C. Robles from New uh, Mexico City, Mexico. So, what are your predictions for Monday's Apple event? Go ahead, Mitchell. 
I'm going to, with the Apple scary event, scary fast, I think the way they're, uh, they're promoting it, that really kind of points at an M3 coming out. The question is, what's it going into? Um, my guess would be a Mac Pro with an M3 would make sense because it needs to be faster than the Ultra Studio, which basically is the Mac Pro with an Ultra Studio inside of it and a lot more money. Uh, go ahead, Jeffrey. Since they're doing it at a special time on the 30th of October, I'm really wondering if they're going to start. They're going to dress up in Halloween costumes and make this a little bit more fun event. Uh, it, most of the times, it's just very straightforward in what's going on. The iMac is the one thing. The iMac M3, I think, is going to be the one thing that they're going to talk about at most. And uh, the other upgrades, if any, if an iPad does get upgraded, it'll be the iPad Air. It'll be a non-M. Uh, processor iPad or uh, and possibly an Apple TV but highly doubtful. I go ahead John. Tim Cook will not say good morning. <laughs> go ahead Chris. I think it would be <clears throat> really a big mistake to like dress up and make it a Halloween thing. I I have this discussion with clients often where I'll point out there's there's a great thing on YouTube if you go and you look for it and it is um it's an Apple uh, uh, event from the 80s where they played the dating game. And Bill Gates was one of the guests, and, and it's frighteningly bad. It's really, really bad. It doesn't age well at all. And it's, and it's this thing where I, I really believe that corporate should absolutely stay away from silly kitschy, dumb games and stuff like that because it, it never ages well. And when people come to me and they go, oh, we want to do this funny little thing. We're going <clears> to, <throat> you know, do a takeoff of Survivor. I go, go watch this. It's bad. And, and, and it will live forever. And people are going to, in 20 years or maybe 10 years, maybe five years, they're going to go, oh my goodness, did you see that stupid Survivor take, takeoff thing they did? So I think Apple... I hope that Apple will be a little bit classier than that. They may might make reference to it, but please don't let anybody come out and pretend they're Mother Nature or dress up as a ghost or something. Craig, Craig Figueroa, he's gonna he's, he's gonna do he something. He might, but I don't know. He's going to. It's gonna be funny. But that's all. I bet you it'll be all straight except for him. I think Craig will come out and do something. He'll funny. have a cape and fangs. At something, you know, like it'll be, it'll be something. Um, anyway, I, I, that's my guess. Um, I think that it'll be a pretty short event. Um, I think it'll be, you know, I think le definitely less than an hour. Hopefully they stay to the point and just give us what we want to know, which is what, what is the new product? Let's stay away from all the other stuff that they add to the, to the thing and just let us know what the new products are. I think that there is a solid 50-50 chance that they will update the entire line and show us how the M3 fits into all of the products all the way from the um, to, from the Mac Mini, all the way up to the Mac Pro. Um, I think event, within two years they have to do that. I think that they have to get to a point where they tell us this is how the chip is being used across the platform because it's chaotic and it's really frustrating for the user. And I think they know it. I think that they know that it's frustrating to have M2s and M3s and confusing. That they have to get to a point where next year is an M3 line and next year is a four, M4 line and next year is the M5 line and and they get into something. And it doesn't have to be every year, but it has to, and it doesn't have to be a certain date. But I think that they have to get out of this crazy. It just feels insane what they're doing, which is this: I've got M3s over here and M2s over here and M1s over there, and it just it's just chaos. And I think that they have to fix that. Um, next question. 
Jack Rupel from Breckenridge, Colorado, has a question. Could Apple VR 180 be done with a less expensive camera, QCam Ego, only as a proof of concept? Yeah, you could do proof of concepts that way. Um, what, when you're doing the the uh, 180 Really what you're looking at is building the, it's the space. The space is that sphere that you're building out. The other thing that's actually harder is building stereo rectilinear. So the, the building a square like you see for our show, but in stereo, that's actually much harder than doing the 180. There's a lot of tools for 180. There's less tools for the, getting the rectilinear correct. Um, the interesting thing is, is the one thing that will be building those rectilinear videos is your iPhone. So as soon as they update spatial for the 15, your iPhone will be shooting, able to shoot rectilinear 3D um, that, that appears in the vision, which is going to be really interesting. Um, next question. Next question, pop it in from Chester Sweeney in Las Vegas, Nevada. So I want to celebrate an anniversary by playing the album that somehow became our moment. Pretty Hate Machine by Nine Inch Nails, and I want to get the record and a record player, but which record player for the best bang for buck versus best quality? Now, as someone who is a huge fan of Pretty Hate Machine, and it's probably, it, it, it will, anytime I make a list, I've, I made a list of the top 10 albums ever made, Pretty Hate Machine is in that top 10 list for me. So I love the, I love the album, but I wonder what moment is your moment if you're listening, if, if, if Pretty Hate Machine is that, is, is that moment because it's a, it's dark. It's a very dark, it's a very, very dark album. Um, anyway, but uh, it is a, by the way, if you haven't heard Pretty Hate, Hate Machine, again, uh, the craftsmanship on Pretty Hate Machine um, by, it's Trent Reznor's uh, first full album and um, amazing piece of work. But, dark <laughs> you know so so anyway so uh but i um I, I broke my rib at that show anyway um go ahead mitchell yeah head in hole would be my favorite nin song oh, but uh by the way this is a qr question coming in uh getting back to the record player wow i mean i had one of the original uh techniques uh 1200 turntables and they were very highly sought after after they went out of production but now they're up to according to what I'm looking at, a Mark 7. So if you want a great turntable, a Technics SL1200 Mark 7 uh, would be the way to go. And then, of course, the sound is the cartridge you put in there. And I go back to the old Stanton cartridges. I have no current information for you. Go, Jeffrey. So there's a lot of DJ uh, turntables that you could go down to Best Buy and, uh, and pick up right now. Audio-Technica seems to be top of the line on going that route. Uh, you can also have companies like Crosley, like uh, a DJ turntables. Uh, uh, yeah, and then uh, Victrola is still around as there. But the, they do have two other factors that we need to know. One is how you are going to be amplifying that. Do you need a record player that actually also has speakers to it? Or are you going to be plugging into the computer? Do you have uh, an amp that you're going to be plugging into to play that? And then the second thing is the record itself. How well kept is the record is it nice and flat do you need to worry about warping do you need to worry about scratches or anything like that audio technica like i said has a uh, has a has a great turntable has a arm that has a carbon fiber arm to it but if it does if they don't have what's called the counterweight to it uh, you might run into problems like i said skipping or uh, other problems trying to play that record go ahead mitchell Depends on how you're going to use it, too. If you're going to scratch it, uh, you've got to have a decent needle on it, not one thin and don't, spindly. Don't scratch. Um, I just checked the price on the uh, the 1200 MK7, $2,000 at Sweetwater. 
So I don't know if that's the most the best bang for your buck, but it is a it is a good it's, it's a good it's a good uh, turntable. We found my my wife had thought she had lost all of her records, and we found them in a box, you know, while we were cleaning. And so now we are looking for. We'll let you know what we get. It's probably not going to be twelve hundred two thousand dollars. I'm looking for something probably in the three to five hundred dollar range. That's good enough. Um, I I was looking at the at the at the twelve hundred, um, and I was like, I don't I don't know if I'm that committed. I used to, I mean, Come that's on, what we used to use on the radio. I, I know I want to, but there are other things to spend money on, like a Apple Vision Pro and, and uh, another full frame camera, <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, next question. Next one in from Terry McAdams in Wichita Falls, Texas. What platforms are the least costly ways of hosting video podcasts that will provide an RSS feed for Apple Podcasts? Jeffrey. Uh, two of them that I, I've used in the past, one is called Libsyn, L-I-B-S-Y-N, and the other one's called Blueberry, B-L-U-B-L-U-R-R-Y. Um, so they're, they're slightly different uh, spellings. Those two are pretty much on the, on the forefront for creating your own RSS feeds. In fact, they basically say that you want to have your own RSS feeds and not use something like Spotify. And then, of course, the hosting and uh, creating all that for you in a nice little container. Yeah, Libsyn's a great one for kind of a really easy to turn on and make it work and and put it out there. Squarespace will actually build the RSS feed for you if you if you want to use that. Uh, what we use for the Michael Krasny show, Gray Matter Not Show, is uh, Cashfly. So it's a little bit you have to be a, know a little bit more about what you're doing, but it's going to be probably less expensive and it's an incredible service. Uh, next question. Next one in from Douglas uh, Carmichael. Has anyone ever used Promax? Promox for server virtualization. I'm using it for my home server, and I'm very impressed with its stability and functionality. No. Never even heard of it before. So we'll have to do more research on it. But it's a good question. Next question. Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas. Any suggestions for an over-the-air rooftop antenna and distribution system to go to a dozen TVs? Um, I think that, that you want to look at the... Um, uh, John, I think you have one. It's the it's the dust. Is it dust? Um, have we talked about that? That's the over the air. If you're looking for over the air, over then to IP. Um, it's David David Brady was the one that first brought it to us, and um, I think that it's the uh, I, I want to call it dust antenna. It's not dust. Uh, let's see here. Uh, let's see if I can find. I can't. We'll, we'll have to come back to that, but there is a, uh, I have one somewhere in the back there, but I, I, I don't have it right on, right on top of my head. Uh, but there's a receiver, and then it's going to convert it to IP. Uh, you might want to look in the comments. Someone will throw it in the comments, I'm sure. Uh, next question. Next one in from Jack Rupel in Breckenridge, Colorado. I want to record old voicemails from my Promax in the highest quality possible USB to what audio interface? Line in, 3.5 inch, DAW, whatever. Um, what you're looking for is you, you want to use a USB interface to do that, um, and you preferably want to balance out from that USB interface. And the the only one that I know, the, there's probably better, there are less expensive ones out there. The one that um, that I use is a mix is a USB pre two, not a mix pre, but a USB pre two, and it will connect to your phone and it will output and input. I used to record my my message, you know, hi, this is Alex. I can't I can't come to the phone right now. Blah 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 blah. And I did that with I would have a professional mic going into a USB pre two into my phone uh, to make that actually work. Um, and so it worked. Uh, 
it worked quite well as far as leaving that. Then I just got to a point where I didn't care what my message said. And so it's just like, I think, I think right now my message is, hi, this is Alex. I don't even know how to pick up these messages. So don't, don't leave one. Just, just text me. If you don't have my, just text me and we'll talk. Uh, Go ahead, guy. Yeah, it looks like there might be some apps that could do this as well. So you're not even having to bring it back out analog. So I would look at an app like this. It's called uh, iMazing, I believe. Let's see. But yeah, basically they'll show up as files and then you could transfer them over a hard drive. So I would go that route. Uh, Go ahead. Um, Next question. Paul Wallace from Austin, Texas. Mitchell, what is the best microphone preamp you would acquire? Uh, Go ahead, Mitchell. Um, if money wasn't an object, um, I like the sound devices uh, preamps. The whole line are excellent preamps. But personally, I would go for a Neve 8801. It's, uh, there's an uh, independent mic channel that's based on the 8801 uh, console they have. And, of course, Rupert Neve made some of the greatest preamps of all time. Uh, next question. Next question from Douglas Carmichael. Do you think we could bring back the classic Belfast method sometime, even if it's a different space? Our goal is to get is to build out a, a pipeline um, inside of the new studio that we're hoping to move into. We haven't quite moved in yet. We're still working on that. Um, but uh, if we if we end up in that studio, we will um, be setting that studio up to be completely or have a version of it that's completely remote control. Um, so there's gonna there's a lot of analog stuff that's going to be there for the bands, but we want to build a subsystem that lets us. Uh, do that, and then we will be going back to something that looks like a Belfast method, probably even more pure in the sense that there will be nobody. Like it will be designed around nobody in the studio at all. No cam- camera operators. No, like it'll all be remote. Um, we're we're kind of working towards that that model. So stay tuned. Next question. Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas. Jeffrey, what's going on with Amazon influencers on the rise, on the decline? Any shows you like? I go ahead, Jeffrey. Um, yeah, there's there's a big shakeup with Amazon influencers right now. Uh, it, you can I could that could do the long drawn out uh, thing, but uh, please don't. Basically, yeah, I'm not going to. <laughs> Sorry. The bottom line is that uh, you know with sales going down, with uh, Amazon's looking at other ways to bring influencers in, uh, and uh, a lot of us influencers who who are doing live streams were finding that we weren't getting the audiences that we were getting back even uh, six months ago, and it's been a different beast. And uh, that's that's all I'll say on it. But it's definitely been a hard hard uh, hard thing in the last few months. Next question. Douglas Carmichael, with Lucas content and Star Wars being such iconic elements of popular culture, why do you think we didn't see 3210 preserved as a historic site? Sunday question. Next question. Next question from Paul Wallace again. Guy, any new discoveries with the X-Reel? Good, Guy. Yeah, I've been using it with the... um Mac Mini running NDI Sienna app. So then I could send anything over NDI that I want into the glasses. And I have a 120 inch screen with my multi-view. So uh, in vMix, I'm able to design whatever multi-view I want and put the screens that I want and then kick them over. And then this battery lasts forever. So I can have somebody put this in a, in a small little pouch. And now they've got uh, a cable. Of course, it's cable to into the glasses, but that's just one cool thing that you can do with the X-Real glasses in a production environment and send your multi-view over NDI. Next question. From Paul Wallace again, uh, what movies or TV shows are outstanding out of Norway these days? Samuel, is it what, what's the big thing? What is everybody talking about? 
Well, I don't think there's really so many uh, Norwegian uh, TV shows uh, that I listen to, at least. I don't really listen to TV uh, or watch TV very much, uh, so I uh, nothing at the top of my head that's typically uh, Norwegian right now. There you go. Um, that's great. We're we're at the end of our of the we ran out of questions. Uh, we're going to close it up for today, and and uh, but I think that it was a, a very very good, uh, very very good um, first try. At uh, I mean that is a kind of an amazing move. Uh, so I really want to thank the dev, the dev team and uh, John Wallace and and everyone that has been uh, you know working on that on that back end. It's it's really really amazing that we were able to make that turn so quickly. Uh, we really tried to hang on to thirty two ten probably a little too long and didn't make the plan on how to make the change. And we were just very fortunate that there was another kit that was really close to ready to go. And I think it's a it's a really good trade off between um, you know solving some issues uh, as far as figuring out how that kit you know, ringing that kit out as well as um, ringing, uh, as well as giving us a little time to think about that too. So I think that it's, um, it turned out to be a really great uh, trade-off there. And uh, we're going to continue to work on it. You'll probably see us uh, make some adjustments over time. Um, and uh, and and then um, we'll go from there. I, by the way, a quick announcement. I know Chris, Chris put it up. The reason, Chris, I haven't talked about it is I can't get it to show up on the stupid channel. <laughs> so like I have my, my channel is like, Oh, I hate. Sometimes I just I just hate the YouTube uh, channel working. customization. It's on the channel. It's on the channel. I can't get it to to highlight correctly. Like I don't. Um, I'm so frustrated. Well, so anyway, so for not, the for not highlighting correctly, it's getting views already. I know, I know, because I, I ran it as a premiere as a test, um, and I just can't get it to. What Alex anyway, is trying to say is Chris made Wednesday. this great video. Uh, so we'll, we'll, I'm going to post it on Discord. Chris made a great video on how, I mean, John when I say it. great, amazing. John hates it. You hate the video. How do yeah. you not like the video? John, how do you not like the video? It was great. He I was it because it's me in it. No, it's so, it's such a nice version of Chris too. Like it was so, it was like very like nice Nice, nice version of Chris. I, I, I was like, I don't, I've never, I don't know if I've ever seen Chris so nice. So what Alex is trying so. to say is next Wednesday for the second hour, we're going to go through the, uh, th there's been some talk uh, in questions and whatnot, people asking about how my audio system works because I talk about it all the time. <clears throat> so I made a 11 minute real dense, like here's how it works. So watch that. And then on Wednesday, we'll, we could talk about it. So, yeah, and so we'll all start at a point where we understand it fairly well, but then we can talk about it in depth on Wednesday. And this is a model that we've been, I mean, I was just really fortunate that that, uh, that Chris was ready to, to do this. And this is the model that we want to get to eventually. By the end of next year, our goal is that this is the model that we use for everything. You know, like literally every second hour has some little video that gets you, lets, lets you watch something a week before the show. And then you can think about it and think through the thing. And, and even, you know, like quick interviews with, uh, you know, if we have guests coming on, like this is what we do and this is how it works and everything else and get some of those things. Chris, Chris I, I don't know how much time you put into this, Chris, but it was worth it. It was just, it's a really, really great outline of the whole thing. I mean, it's, it's, it's really clear 
It's really well put together. I, I, you know, I, it took me a little couple hours to get to it because I was like, I was like, oh, 11 minutes is a long time for me. Um, and, um, and I, uh, but I sat down and I watched it. I actually watched it on my phone and everything was readable. <laughs> like, and I was able to look at it and make it all work. And, and it was just, it's really, really good. And it really clearly outlines exactly why Chris does what he does and how he does it. As a, it was actually, for the record, it was one take, one pass, no edits, all switched on the stream deck while I'm talking. The slide deck was slowly evolved over weeks. I, it, For the record, since the beginning of the pandemic, I started a slide deck to keep notes about uh, physical configurations. And I, my, my preferred way, instead of, you know, like, uh, what, what does everybody use the, all the, the line drawing, um, omnigraphal and stuff like that? I, I actually like taking photos of things. So, for example. Yep, we lost you. Lost your, lost your yeah, audio. Sorry, sorry. Oh. I hit the wrong button. Here is uh, me talking about the, the mix pre. And I, I actually just take photos of this stuff. So, uh, or, you know, steal them off the web. Uh, but I have, it, it, it's nearly 300 slides, this slide deck. It's giant. But every time I like, huh, I wonder if I should build an ISO system out of, you know, rack-mounted stream decks. I have a drawing of that. And then it, a lot of times there's little spreadsheets in the corners like, oh, that's too much money, not going to do that. But I, I like to look at the things. So, so this slide deck of how, and, and then the way I keep notes of like how stuff works is basically those slides. I have those slides. I have hundreds of slides like that that I've never shown to anybody, but it's just my notepad, so to speak. And so I spent a couple of hours massaging the slides and saying, oh, I don't need that one, don't need that one, don't, oh, I'm going to zoom in on this one, stuff like that. And then I just talked through it. And I one, one pass, one take with the slides that had evolved over time. Yeah, it's, it's really good. Glad you like it. <laughs> yeah, I really liked it. I really liked it. I was like, oh, we can build a video about this for every show someday. Someday in the future, we're on. We're on. We're a, it's a whole different show, and um, and I think that it gives you that kind of uh, direct. Like, just watch this thing. It's it's longer than I would have normally made it, but there's no way you could have made it any faster. Like, it was so much detail and so much data and so much stuff that you were covering. Yeah, I said, and it, it was, was just be really. Dense. It's dense and it's really dense and it's really good and everybody should watch it. <laughs> so so anyway, so uh, definitely uh, check it out. Again, it's on our it's on our website now. I've got twenty seven views already. <laughs> like we just put it on during the show. I've been struggling with it's getting viral. the channel viral. The channel after tw- makes after me twenty five. It's viral. It's viral. Yeah, exactly. It's a conspiracy. Yeah, so I, I have a uh, I have a commitment to doing some things on our YouTube channel because um, I need to remember how to do things on the YouTube channel, but then it usually requires lots of swearing on my part because um, I still am, you know, it's like, uh, anyway. Uh, so contact me. I don't want, I, I'm, I need to do it myself. <laughs> like, I need to know how to do it. Yeah, I can like, answer I, questions though. No, I, I, I was doing it during the show. So anyway, so I just, I just, it, it, it's fine. It, it's, well, that it's makes fine. it tougher, yeah. Yeah, um, so anyway, um, because I had, I had put it on, I put it on the channel, but I hadn't turned it on until, and I was like, oh yeah, I got to turn it on before the end of the show so I can talk about it. The so next show. Wednesday, second hour. Next week's second hour, but check out the video. I will put a direct link in Discord uh, right after the show so that you can you can find it there easily. And uh, I'm also going to tweet it out and do all the other I things. I found it in so. 15 seconds on yeah. YouTube. It's easy. Yeah. Or I got to, yeah, anyway, long story. 
Um, so <laughs> a lot of things about our channel is about to change because of what I just did. So anyway, um, um, there you go. All right. Um, thank you so much to the uh, incredible team that made this transition happen. Uh, and uh, on the back end, thank you to the panel for uh, for the discussion and making the first hour and second hour work. And thank you to the producers uh, for throwing all those questions in. It's a really short show without your questions. We talk a little bit and then we go, okay, let's go back to breakfast. So um, so anyway, we, we appreciate everybody's contribution there. Uh, we traveled um, 90,000 miles. That's 145,000 kilometers. And that is... 716 million bananas for scale. This is the imperial banana, by the way. Um, let's go ahead and jump into after hours. <laughs> I got these little bananas. I got these little bananas that um, that are much smaller. Bananas. They're like the metric banana. And so it's a very, they're, they're like the little bananas. They taste pretty much the same. They're kind of halfway between a banana and a, and a plantain. Plantation. Yeah, and plant, not plantation, but with plantain. And, um, <laughs> and so um, the, uh, they're good. And I was going to pull one out and go, and I was going to double, like double or I think it's two and a half times. So I'd have to multiply in my head, like or 17 million of these, or 17 million of, or 1.4 million of these little weird bananas. You know, it's, Plantains? Yeah. Plantains. They're bananas that aren't sweet. Yeah, they're, yeah, and they are, and you cook them, and they are so good. The, 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 these little bananas that I'm talking about are little bananas. They're not plantains. Okay. So, anyway. All right. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>